Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Well, believe it or not, Dave, I'm kind of shocked because you brought a special guest. So I am dying to for you to tell us about your special guest because I didn't know that was possible for you. Well, it's hard to believe I actually know people I know and then people like me enough to actually come on. But I was shocked as well. Today, we actually have the vice president of BKT Tires USA uh, Doug Kershaw with us. Um, met uh, actually, I, I met uh, Doug. Well, Doug and I didn't meet, but I met Doug's boss, Minu, who's the president at a tire industry association event I uh, spoke at last year, the last one before the world shut down. And, uh, and Minu said that Doug would be a great guest here. And, and looking at him, and I haven't gotten to know him. I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. So, Doug, welcome. Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate your, your, your being here. So the first question we always like to ask our uh, guests, as you know, the uh, name of our podcast is Disarming Persuasion. Mm-hmm. What does that phrase mean to you? Well, first of all, it's an interesting phrase to me because it's not something that you hear very often. Uh, but I guess, you know, my first gut reaction when I hear this type of thing is, uh, how do, you know, if someone's trying to persuade you of something, whether it be uh, buy a product or believe us believe in a type of system that I'm trying to persuade somebody to but if you are disarming it you're you're basically doing either one or two things you're either coming up with good arguments against what they're trying to tell you or you're breaking it down to get a better understanding so if it that that's kind of the way so you're disarming it so in other words if someone's saying hey this is something that I believe in uh, this is something that I think you should believe into but whatever that is if you want to get a better understanding to have a better uh, feel for what that is all about and what the, you have to break it down to get the, the meaning. So I could kind of look at it that way. There's probably about 20 different other ways to look at it, but that's kind of the, the first reaction I have. Well, I would say there's at least one way of looking at it for each guest we've had on. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Add two more, one for Darren and one for me. So, yes. Okay, good. Very good. So, Doug, I was looking at your background and you yeah. have a you have a background in broadcast journalism. And that's something I went to school for. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what that was like and then the transition to more the sales arena and the leadership. arena. Sure. Um, well, I'm for, I'm originally from the West Coast. I went I went to I, my dad was in the Air Force. so I lived all over the place. However, I went to college at Oregon State University. And I went for broadcast journalism and uh, I was really interested in that type of thing. And I was very interested in sports. I wasn't uh, necessarily good enough to play sports, especially at the level that I would have wanted to play at. But but I thought, boy, it sure would be a lot of fun to get into broadcasting, do sports uh, types things. So Oregon State provided a great opportunity because we had a student run television station there. And so we were able to do all kinds of interesting things. Um, I was considered one of the successful ones out of my class because I got an internship uh, my last quarter 
at uh, uh, Channel 2 in Portland, Oregon, uh, ABC affiliate, working in the sports department. It was fantastic. I learned so much. I covered the Blazers and the, and the hockey. I covered the junior hockey uh, winter hawks. And then I got very fortunate because they cut my internship off and uh, hired me as a reporter guy and also like a grip guy. And then I got an on-air job, which was kind of the way you wanted to try to go, uh, in the state of Washington for an NBC affiliate. Well, that was a lot of fun. And I got to cover the Seahawks and the Sonics and the Mariners and all kinds of local sports and whatnot in central Washington and West and Western Washington. But the problem is I didn't make any money. I mean, I just worked my rear end off like all of them do. And the whole thing is, is you know, you got to pay your dues, right? And fine, you know, that's okay. But I was, it's funny because my title was sports director, but I was me, myself and I, that was it. <laughs> I was directing everything. I shot, wrote, produced, and edited uh, four minutes of sports five times a week, two times a day, uh, five days a week, two times a day. And it was exhausting, but it was a lot of fun. So what I decided after a little while, because uh, honestly, I, you know, I had student loans coming back and all this other thing, I was really kind of disgruntled because I thought, goodness, I mean, I've got, the only way this thing works is if you hop around from station to station and, and hope that you get something up big that you wanted. I wanted to do like NFL or college football on Saturday and Sundays. So I really got discouraged because I didn't want to live my life that way. Being an Air Force brat, living all over the place, I didn't want to do that again. So I, I decided to leave. And uh, I was very successful, by the way, because uh, ratings books, we were number one across the board after me and the, the team that they replaced. As I was part of a team we brought in. And so, you know, I was a keynote speaker at different events and everything, and everybody looked at me as being extremely successful, but I just didn't have any money. I couldn't afford it. So I got out, and I was very fortunate enough to uh, get on with an outside sales job in the rubber industry with a company called Deco Product, mm -hmm. uh, based out of Dayton, Ohio. And they moved me down to uh, the Bay Area, California, and my territory was Northern California. So Real quickly, and, and all, honestly, when I was in college, I worked side jobs at uh, Sears Automotive and, and uh, you know, different retail places. So I had some sales experience only at a retail level, but very minor. All of a sudden, I was thrust into this. I was 26 years old. I was thrust into this situation where I'm working out of my house. So I have no supervision, if you will. And I have a list of customers with a book of business approximately about $5 million dollars. And my job was to go around, work with our current uh, distributors or dealers, and then also find other dealers for the products that we sold. And it was a real eye-opening experience because I had to manage myself. I had to communicate with my boss who was in Los Angeles. I had to be able to communicate with home office, which was in Ohio. And I had to build this. I had never done anything like that before. I was a broadcast journalism guy, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a real eye-opener uh, to me. Uh, but, but, I, but I quickly found that if you are yourself and you go into a customer and if you do not have the answer, it's okay. But know that you can get the answer and follow up and get the answer. So I found out really quickly that if you do what you say and say what you do, most customers have no issue with you. You don't have to be the smartest guy that came around the block. You just have to get a guy that's going to get their questions and are their services done. And that that was a lot of fun. I did that for about three and a half years. And then I got promoted to home office to run their marketing services department. And that was uh, the beginning of the leadership because then I had 
I think it was six people on my team. And I'll never forget, uh, you know, my dad told me when I got that job because I had to move to Ohio and I was all by myself, of course, I wasn't married. And uh, he said, Doug, and my dad was in the Air Force for 20 plus years. And he said, listen, as a leader, now that you have people reporting to you, do yourself a favor and listen to them. You don't have to necessarily do what they say, but listen to their ideas. Be open to listening to their ideas. And, and that was great advice because to me, a leader, getting into leadership, no matter what role it is, if you don't listen to the team that you're part of, you're just a dictator. And that's not, that's not the kind of leader that you need to be. We need to have integrity. You need to be committed. We need to, we need to think entrepreneurially, if you will, and then be a team. Everything is a team. And that's what I like about BKT, by the way, is everything we do here is we're all about team. In fact, most of my emails, I hardly ever put the word I. I usually say us or we. And um, even when it doesn't make a complete sentence, <laughs> we put it in that way because we want to make sure that we're not taking, this is not I. You know, I happen to have a responsibility here, but I'm, I don't look at myself any differently than the guy we have living in Tennessee, for example. Um, it is kind of strange, though, when we get together for a sales meeting and uh, they want to go have a beer together and they don't invite me. I, I, I get a little like, I get a little like, well, why not? And then I have to realize, no, no, wait a minute. I'm in a different role now. They don't look at me that way. I'm not one of the guys anymore. But in a way, we, we, we do try to. So. Um, so anyway, that that's kind of the background. I'm sorry, I kind of went a little long on that. <laughs> no, it's, it's quite all right, Doug. It's, it's a great story. In fact, your dad, uh, with that little bit of advice, I think we could probably shut down and stop our podcast because he really nailed <laughs> he really nailed leadership to a T. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious though, because it is a big trend. You made a couple big transitions in a at a relatively young age. Although let's be candid, none of us at twenty something think we're young, right? We, Correct. <laughs> right. I, I, I go back to. Um, uh, who was it? Uh, um, Bill Cosby, who once said, "The older I got, the smarter my father got." Absolutely, um, right. Um, <laughs> but at twenty-something, we know everything. At, at, at I'll be sixty this year. I realize how little I actually know. Um, but uh, you made two major transitions. One from from uh, being your own. You had no team. It was you doing everything in the sports role. Uh, obviously, you had people you reported to and responsible to, to then a completely new industry. Once again, on your own, um, you didn't have a team, but you also didn't have managers or deadlines to report to. You had quotas to meet, which is a little different feel. I did, yes. And then all of a sudden, you're running a team of six six people in a fairly short time. Your your dad's advice notwithstanding, I my bet is there were probably some leadership struggles, some things that now you look back on and go like, wow, I wish I knew this then. What was your biggest challenge as a new leader trying to motivate, inspire, and lead people? Boy, that, yeah, that is a great question. It makes me think back at that time when I moved to Ohio and I was, thr I call it thrust into, but it was a tremendous opportunity and Daco was a great company, but uh, goodness, you know, I was young. Still, I mean, I was only, by the time I moved to Ohio, I was 30, 30, about 30, 31 years old. And of course I thought, oh, I'm 30, you know, I, I, you know, no different than when I was 25, you know, oh, I've, I've got this, this is no problem, right? Um, you know, I, 
what I had a tendency to do, frankly, if I think about it and look back at some of the things that happened at that time, in, in certain corporations, you're always self-promoting and you end up doing that inadvertently. So when you go back to the TV world, you know, you actually even had an agent. And that was one of the things that I didn't like about the TV world was because you go to school for four years and they treat you like an actor. Well, if I wanted to be an actor, I'd have just gone to Los Angeles and tried my luck and not gone to school. So I didn't care for that. So, but, but, but doing that in that environment, you're self-promoting all the time. So one of the biggest things I think that I've always had to change was when I went to Daco and then later on I went to General Electric and then later on I went to a Canadian company and now I'm here at BKT. You don't have to self-promote. You don't have to. And that is something that I kind of got into a mode of because you always wanted to. And I don't know where I got this, to be honest, uh, when I was very young age, I guess. Uh, you want people to, to see your value, to see you who you are and that you're bringing your you know, you don't want to be thought of as, well, this guy's on the team, but he's not contributing. So we're going to trade him or we're going to fire him or we're going to do whatever we're going to change. Well, I didn't want to be that guy that was let go. I wanted to be the guy that was contributing to the team. And so I would inadvertently self-promote. And that was never my heart to do that, but that's the way it came across. And quite frankly, most in my younger days, most of my job reviews at the end of the year with my bosses, and I had some great bosses and I had some bosses I didn't really care for, but almost every time they would say, why do you self-promote all the time? So the challenge that I had was when I was a leader of the team, I still self-promoted and I alienated that team sometimes inadvertently. Mm -hmm. It was not something that I, in fact, when I was told I was doing it, I was like shocked. I was, what are you talking about? Hey, I no. But then I really had to evaluate myself and go, you know what? Those two people over there did a great job on this particular project. And I never said thank you to them, number one. And I never let the bosses up above me know that they're the ones that did the work. And, and that's that's something that I had to mature about in my 30s. Um, obviously, every stage of my, you know, I always had people reporting to me from that time out. But I always make mistakes. You know, you always make mistakes with things you say and do. You look back at things. You go, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that to that person. I either inadvertently belittled them or made them feel terrible or they think, oh, Doug took the credit for all of that stuff. And, you know, so if there's anything that I've learned throughout the years is making sure that, number one, I listen to everybody around me and, and really kind of solve things as a team, you know. Uh, and then secondly, make sure that everybody knows that I'm not walking around going, yep, me, 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 I, I, I. That, that, that is the only thing that, that, uh, well, that is one thing that will just really inter infuriate, rather, the teammates that you have. So, yeah, I, I'll tell you, Doug, first of all, uh, you probably know this already now, but I would say to the younger Doug, don't feel bad about that, right? We all, we, we all go through that. And, and hopefully some of us, like you, we learn, which is why, you know, when I'm when I'm doing leadership training, one of the things that I took out of leadership uh, as I matured and grew up and I try and impart in young leaders that I'm um, helping along is that success belongs to the team. Failure belongs to me as the leader. Right. That's right. That's right. And, and if, if we take that approach, I, I think it puts that self-promoting thing aside because you give the credit where it belongs. Yeah, it's important. Absolutely. So. I think the self-promotion, I could be wrong. 
I'm going to play armchair psychologist, right? I'm really good at armchair quarterback. I've never thrown an interception watching a game. You know, I'm really, I'm really good at, you know, that. And so <laughs> my thought is when you were representing the TV station, you were looked at as kind of like an icon. You were promoting not only you, but promoting the station. So I can see where that would, would come from, right? Yeah. And, then, and I think the challenges in sales and in leadership, a lot of times when we hire salespeople, we spend so much time talking about, our company, our product, how great it is, how we're better than everybody else. And so I think that's that's just something that people pick up fairly quickly. Does, does that part make sense, first of all? Absolutely. But that's not always going to be the success for a sales guy. I, I mean, agree. Yeah. So my next part of the question is, you are now in charge of a large team, correct? That is right. So what do you do when they show up with, hey, we're the best, we're the best, I'm amazing, I did this, I'm amazing, I'm incredible. What are some suggestions that you can share besides listening, which is so important, it's the most important thing you can do. So our listeners that feel that they need to be that way because that's what they've been taught how to act. Uh, first of all, it's, it's easier for me here too because we, we have a great team. And I, I really do point to Manu, my boss, uh, who Dave's met. And um, he has instilled this. I mean, he, for three years I've been here under him, and he has drilled me in the head. And I love it. Uh, he is a great boss. Because no matter what anybody says, he says, no, 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 it's the team. So when it happens, and it doesn't happen often, frankly, you know, uh, you just say, oh, wait, wait a minute. You just calm down. That's one thing we do. As a leader, um, I think of it as a pilot. And uh, I, I know Dave is a pilot, and so I like this analogy. And I've used this analogy before. If you have an issue and you need to solve it, does freaking out solve the issue? Does getting all excited solve the issue? Also, if you had some success and you come jumping around and you're you know, I, honestly, I don't like all these football players that, you know, oh, they make a tackle and look at me and they're doing this. And I understand the passion. However, we know I was always taught that when you played football, for example, if you scored a touchdown, just flip the ball to the ref and act like you've always been there. No big deal. That's right. But these guys want to I understand the passion jumping around. But looking at me, me, me. I mean, we've kind of created this society of looking at me all the time, the me society. But anyway, getting back to your question, uh, what do we do if someone does that? Doesn't happen very often, but we very quickly just say, look, calm down. Did you really do all the work? Did, was it not this support person and this support person, this support person? Didn't we do it together? And then they usually say, yeah, you're right. Okay, then let's say we did it. And now let's celebrate and dance around and jump around and do whatever we want to do to celebrate. That's really how we handle it. But I can tell you right now that we don't have that issue so much here in, in BKT because Manu establishes that culture where it is a team and that that's truly where it is. And I'm, and I feel like at least I hope I am taking that even further as a, cause he and I don't look at, he's my boss and I'm under him. We look like we're equals. That's how we work together. We talk together daily and um, I've learned a ton from him on how to manage a situation, manage a, a, a person, manage a customer complaint, anything that comes in. If you just take time, Think about it and then come up with a solution. Sometimes you come up with it by yourself. Sometimes he and I will put our heads together and come up with something. Sometimes, and, and this, this is where we differ, but sometimes we'll get together with a whole team and I'm okay 
if a team member, and this comes from a company I used to work for because they were more uh, passionate, if you will, uh, French Canadians. Um, I'm okay if someone has a disagreement with me and they say, Doug, this is what we need to do to be to get this job right. This is what we need to do. And dagnab it and they slam their fist on the table, either figuratively or not. I'm okay with that as long as they're not being disrespectful and as long as they're not being unprofessional and they have the right set of mind where they are wanting to solve the problem or, or, or get the goal. I'm okay with that. Now, Manu doesn't like that. He would rather everybody be calm and talk through things. And that, that also works. But, uh, you know, that I, I, I call it cuss, fuss, and discuss. You want to get into it? That's fine. You can disagree with me. That's fine. Anybody on our team can disagree with anything I say. I'm okay with that. But give me a solution and let's work it through. And we'll come up with a common common solution of what we have to deal with. But at the end of the day, Manu and I are the ones that have to call Mr. Pudar, our owner, and say this is what we're going to do and why. So anyway, I kind of diverted a little bit from your question. but uh, no, no, you didn't. Can you repeat that the, the cost discuss part again slowly so I can hear it? Oh, no problem. So what I like to do when you are, as long as you stay professional and respectful when you are discussing points with people like a team, yeah. we can cuss fuss and discuss to come up with a with a solution in other words i'm okay if someone gets really really uh uptight about something no dagnabbit this is what we need to do to make this work i'm telling you that you what we're saying here is not going to work this is going to work i'll give you an example why i mean but why i'm okay with this one time when i was working for another company uh, camoplast up in uh, canada and i had went and put together a business plan for our owner and the upper management for our snowmobile track business. And I actually uh, was part of a team, but I had to be the one that presented this. But this was a lot of this was kind of like my, my brainchild at the time is we, we had to change the pricing, lower the pricing of a certain t- track and and do all these other things. And we're going to increase our margins by 27 percent. This is what I did. And. The owner and the VP at the time was like telling me that I was an idiot and I didn't know what I was talking about. And knowing that uh, our owner was okay with this uh, cuss, fuss, and discuss type of attitude, I said, well, then fine. I took my notebook. I said, fine. If you don't think it's going to work, either let me do it and fire me if it doesn't happen or you do it. And so the owner says, to, he looks at me and he goes, you really believe that? And I said, yes, sir, I do. And he says, okay, then I know you, then I believe in it too, because I know you do. So that's what they would do. They would push you to the edge to find out if you really believed what you put in your report. Right. And that was a learning I had on that, on that particular situation. So people that I have here, I'm okay if they have a disagreement with me on something. If they are, if, if they give me a plan, because right now the guys are working on their plans. If they come to me and I think, well, what, what does this mean? I may agree with it. But I'm going to act like I don't really think I agree with this. And if, but if they really show me that they care, then I know that there's a chance for success. Right. Um, there's, there's one more thing that I you think could po- you could possibly add to cuss, fuss, discuss, and then that would be trust. Yes. Because that's what happens when you all when it's all said and done, and you actually mentioned it a couple of times, and it's trust that it's it's going to work out. I think that's brilliant. That's amazing advice for anybody that's listening. So I would also add one other thing. Yes. And, and I really, truly believe this. 
if you don't have a positive attitude when you're going into something, you're not going to win. You've given yourself one strike already. So uh, I've come into situations throughout my life, either uh, on purpose or, uh, you know, just the way life has uh, dealt the cards to me. And I've been down. I mean, I'm not going to act like everything has been rosy for me. Um, But uh, I've always remembered what my grandfather told me, too, is if you're not positive with with anything, you you might as well just quit because you're not going to make it. It's like a football team. What do they say? Well, our goal this year is to make the playoffs. No, that's about what they might just do. They won't do anything else. They're going to lose in the first round or second round. But if they say they're going to win the championship, guess what? They may not win it, but they have a chance. So I like that attitude a lot. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny. You hit on a lot of really good points. We we have a, we, we did a podcast on uh, passion mm. because, you know, it was uh, Adele Carnegie, I believe, who said the secret, the little known secret to sales is is passion right and and certainly if somebody's coming to you with a position and they're lukewarm on it themselves what's the chances there right uh absolutely yeah and absolutely. i think it was uh, henry ford who was quoted as saying whether you think you can or you can't you're right <laughs> well and uh what is it uh i know this is kind of a silly thing to bring up but in star wars what did yoda say uh, yeah do no try or do not yeah there's no try either yeah. do or do not period that's true. Yeah, uh, it's funny you you brought up the um, and, and I love this. My wife and I talk about this all the time. You talk about the football players, me, 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 right? And uh, Kathleen, my wife, and I, she's huge. She's a so she's a Red Wings fan. We were talking obviously before the broadcast that we actually have a, a, a fairly significant chunk of the NHL represented here, um, all at each other's throats. And of course, by the way, we got married. Uh, in 97, which is when the Legion of Doom was supposed to sweep the Russian five. And we got, you know, we lost <laughs> four straight. Almost yeah. didn't get married that year. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but um, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Um, it was a wing and a prayer then, right, Dave? Uh, <laughs> th- thanks, Darren. Don't give, up your, don't give up your day job. Um, yeah. So one of the big things when you watch sports, though, is uh, and the Basketball and football are famous for the me, me, me. And you watch hockey interviews and it's all, well, you know, th- these guys were great and they could have won. Right. And they, that, you know, and, and it wasn't for, we never could have done it. It's, it's never me, 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 ever, ever, ever. And I remember uh, recently I was talking to a, a gentleman who played at uh, Michigan. Uh, so very high level, you know, high level juniors played at Michigan um, and I said to him, you know, and he used to work for USA Hockey, uh, as well as the NHL before he, he's now working, uh, doing retail actually, uh, at a high level. And I said, how, how is it that that culture of us and graciousness exists? And he said, you get trained. USA Hockey trains their juniors, their, their AAA. They, they go through training on how to deal with interviews and how to deal with this and how, how to be humble in a sense. And you, it's, you can't be humble and be a great athlete. You have to have that ego that I'm going to score. But at the same time, you have to have it. How do you handle that at BKT? You clearly have a great culture there. Manua set, set the tone really well. Um, both from my conversations with him last year and now and meeting you, it's clear. How do you handle, how do you inculcate that in your team? Do you have formal training you go through? What is it you do? No, it's just our daily culture. I mean, literally, it's 
uh, I have sat in Manu's office for hours listening to him and talk about uh, he, he's brilliant when it comes to you know behaviors and and how you work with people and how you you know uh, it, it, he's got a whole and of course we both have gone through Dale Carnegie and and uh, all of this stuff and we've also done other types of leadership classes I've gone through some leadership classes and things at GE but you just take the best of those pieces and put them together. And Manu has been brilliant at putting all those things together and, and then absolutely articulating it to the team. And that, that I think is key, not only understanding it and then having the material, but then articulating it to the team so that they can understand it. Um, it, we don't, we don't have an issue for that. So I can't even really answer your question on how do you handle that? Because it's just part of our culture. And it's also part of BKT's culture in India too. It's not just us. I would add one other thing that I, probably is so self-evident that you may not be aware of, which is that both you and Manu and I assume the rest of the leadership model it, right? Because it's not enough just to talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. Absolutely. And you know what? Talking about mistakes as a leader, there have been plenty of times, even in this job, after all these years, because I'm 58 years old now. And so I've been in this career for quite a long time. That Manu will pull me aside after I do something and say, Doug, did you really handle that the best way? Did you did you show too much emotion? Did you let that person get under your skin? And he's right, because he observes these things. And I and I say, you know what, I, I need to change. So he'll probably tell you, and I, I, he has told me, so I would imagine he would tell somebody else that Doug is not the same person that came on board in January of 18 as I am today. And it's a lot because of Manu, uh, honestly. I, I can't say enough of nice things about that man. He's Literally the best boss I've ever had. So it is literally a joy to uh, work with him and the team that we've put together. Uh, since I've been on board, um, you know, we've had to change some personnel, uh, bring on different personnel. And, you know, it's never a good thing to have to do those types of uh, actions. Um, sorry about that. We are in an office, so we do have a phone. But, uh, um, uh, but, you know, you have to do what's right for the company, right for the team. And, um, you know, every once in a while, we had to make a change of the personnel because it was it was necessary for the for the strength of the team. And um, it I, I'm one going back to the football analogy. And I think this is very interesting. And I've always been I always tell my wife, you know, I wish I could always talk about this in a public forum, but it's never a good one because I honestly get tired of you got these players. And it doesn't matter the sport, right? But uh, it happens a lot in college football and whatnot. Oh, this so-and-so player, he's so good. And, but, he's, but he's a troublemaker. He's egotistical. He's not a team player. He doesn't give credit for anybody else. It's all about me. And, and everybody knows that he's a kind of a cancer on the team. But, oh, by golly, we're going to still have him start. You know, he's not, he, academically, he's not even cutting it. But we're going to figure out a way to get him. Over. Is that really the right message? No, I, I would say no, it's not. Because what about, to me, and I play different positions in football, and I like to use this analogy, you know, the running back is nothing without the front line. Absolutely mm. nothing. Just look at the Super Bowl here last weekend. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a phenomenal quarterback, had a great scheme, but his line did nothing for him. He was in trouble from the moment the snap came. So what happened? And then, of course, their defensive scheme was they played zone instead of man to man. So Tyreek Hill and uh, Kelsey, they couldn't do anything. They could never got open. Guess what? Okay, but does that mean that 
Patrick Mahomes and these guys are not good? No, it just means that the front line didn't do their job and they couldn't do what they needed to do. So uh, that's why I don't even really like the Heisman Trophy, for example. I don't like it because a running back or a quarterback and anybody like that, they are nothing without the team that they're part of. Absolutely nothing. And nobody knows these guys. You know, I feel bad for big linemen sometimes. You know, they lift all these weights. They eat thousands and thousands of calories, and they're just big guys, and some of them get big guts, and I worry about their health, you know. And and they get no glory, none, zero. I mean, every once in a while, the running back or somebody would give them the ball so they can spike it in the end zone, but the announcers never mention their name, ever. And they, if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't have that spectacular catch or that spectacular run. So I try to use that in my own life. You know, I happen to be in a situation where I'm a, in the leadership position. I can't be successful unless the guys in the field make the sales or, you know, do the job that we need to do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do try to give out the glory to everybody. When we, I am huge at getting the team to get a strategy, put the plan together or what we're going to, how we're going to do it. Cause you got to know where you're going and how you're going to get there. So if you don't know these things, how are you gonna how are you gonna even know you made it? And then when you get the success, take time to celebrate. Um, it drives me crazy if you don't take time to celebrate. And I'll use it another football analogy. Nick Saban. And and our society kind of kind of uh, promotes this, if you will, in at least in my opinion. Nick Saban wins the national championship. What's the first thing out of his mouth on the interview? I'm hitting the recruiting road tomorrow. We gotta start all over again. Will you just take time and celebrate? I mean, it, I'm, I don't mean to knock on Nick Saban. He's a brilliant man. But, but, but you know, people look at that and they kind of, oh, look, that guy's so dedicated. He's just, he never quits. He's never satisfied. Well, I'm okay with never being satisfied, but at least take 24 hours and celebrate the situation that you just achieved. So I was just talking with somebody about this the other day, how we have this tendency to go for the brass ring. And the moment we seize it, we set it out there again. Yeah. Right. Instead yeah. of taking it, cherishing it for a minute, as you said, celebrate, bask in it. Right. Because we need to get that endorphin relief. We need that dopamine relief in our brain. Our physiological, there's a lot of things that we, you know, as humans, we're designed, physiologically designed to do. And if we don't allow ourselves to do it, we live in stress all our lives. Absolutely. And it's not worth that. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing I was thinking, you know, as far as the celebration. So, in sales, a lot of times salespeople beat themselves up too long on failures and live too long in success. I agree it's important to celebrate. I agree it's important to team thing. But sometimes salespeople are like, yeah, that last quarter, I really nailed it so I can just relax. And and there's a detriment to that as well, right? And there is. And I love the concept of team. I was doing a, a two-day training for a, a semiconductor company. And this gentleman closed a $150 million deal. And I made a joke about him because his name was Guru. Okay. I said, he's from India. And I said, you call yourself a guru? Look at you. You're not even that smart. Your parents misnamed you. Just joking around, right? Because that's sometimes when men like one another, we make fun of one another. Dave and I do that, you know, quite a bit, right? Well, what like makes you think we like each other? That's, I knew you still, you'll steal out my thunder on that one. And so anyway, I made, I made a joke with him. He goes, you know, I just want to let you know, because of the training that you did, I closed a $150 million deal. And it couldn't be done 
without you and, and the training that you did. So that was, I was able to celebrate that and, and just really enjoy that. That's like giving back. And that's so, so very important in sales and in leadership. And I know, and I know Dave, you cover a lot of that stuff in your leadership bootcamp as far as the culture and understanding, um, understanding people and getting that perspective, right? I know that they have a culture in Doug's place. They have a culture that just shows up but not every company has that culture that everyone is looking from the team and that we approach, right? Yeah, well, you know, you know, it's funny because I, I don't, I don't think BKT's culture just shows up. Uh, I'm sure Minu purpose built the culture at BKT USA, mm -hmm. and that was purpose built at BKT uh, corporate with India, right? In Mumbai, yes. Mumbai. So everything is is there's no accident there. It's an intentional, purposeful culture. The challenge, of course, is that many organizations, many people, because there's no it's people, they don't know how to do that, right? Or they don't see the failure in the way they were brought up. They think that's the way it should be, so that's how they do, and they don't understand that there's there's better ways. You know, I want to circle back to one of the things that Doug said, and maybe he could comment on this and as a sort of a closing, because you talked about there's times when you have to uh, let people go. Because for whatever reason, and I know having done that many times in my career, it's a big, big challenge. But I also believe that it ultimately, it's not only good for the team and the company, it's also good for the individual because they are not succeeding. And I, we haven't asked this, but my assumption based on our conversations is at that point, you've done a ton of things to try and help them be successful and they have They've not succeeded, which tells me that they're not in a place where they can be passionate and be successful. And you're actually giving them an opportunity. And so that's how I always counsel my my uh, people to approach it. So it makes it a lot easier on your heart because you, you think about the negative side. But really, you're giving them an opportunity to succeed elsewhere. Um, how do you handle that? Oh, well. Fortunately and or unfortunately, and I try to look at it from a positive spin. I've been on both sides of the table of these things. Uh, mostly mine was not a performance issue. It was mostly downsizing, restructuring, things of that nature. and Or we bought a company and then there was a whole restructuring thing. But I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, I took every time that it happened to me as a learning experience so that when I had to perform it on the other side of the table, that it made it a little bit easier, if you will. Um but yes, you're 100% correct. Uh, every person that we've had to let go, that I've had to be part of that or part of that decision, um, we did take those steps. You know, we took the steps to get that person in line with the direction that we're going as a company. Uh, make sure that they're communicating correctly to their customers, their teammates and home office, for example. Um, getting the results that we need to get to get and not self-promoting. Um, I've had to let some people go just simply because they're too self-promoting and they can, and they would alienate their teammates and they would alienate different things. And you go, you just, you know, and you do these different things. We've not done this here at BKT yet, but you know, it, you do these steps and you talk to them and you consult with them. And, and Manu has even pulled out things uh, with some people, you know, some, some behavior things with them. And, and but thankfully the ones he did that to, it all worked, but, um, sometimes if it just doesn't work, if they're not going to come along, you just have to say, look, you know, I'm sorry, but for the betterment of the company and the betterment of the team, we have to make a change. 
and this is the direction we're going and you know you're not part of it 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 wrenches my gut because i'm the kind of guy that i have a an attitude of at least i guess just a feeling in my heart that everybody gets up every day that has a job and says you know what i'm going to do the best job i can today i'm going to do everything i need to do unfortunately people are just not like that and but you have to have the trust you guys brought that up earlier you know, I have to trust that my team gets up every morning and does their job. Uh, unfortunately for them, or actually fortunately for me, it comes out real quick if they're not. You know, uh, they're not calling in. We're not getting the sales. We're not getting the results. We might get a call from a customer saying, "Hey, we haven't seen so and so in like five weeks. What's going on?" And you're go, you're looking at their expense report, saying, "Well, gosh, they took it says here they took you out to lunch." I've not had anything like that, but that's you know. If these things are happening, it's going to come out from the wash very fast. Um, but uh, fortunately, I've not had to deal with that severe of a situation. Uh, but I have had to to let someone go simply because the steps were made, you know, from all the HR rules and different things that you have to do. Plus, from a personal rule to try to rule to just try to help them out and and give them. But if they're not accepting, then uh, they, there's not much you can do. And after a while, you just have to, you know, cut ties. So they, they, I hate it personally. I wish I could ever have to do that. But yeah, I you know, like I said, what I, I try and look at both helping them right, because in the long run, it's an opportunity for them to grow someplace else, right. Right. and and the rest of the team because they're bringing the rest of the team down, and and, and you know it's the needs of the many versus Un- the needs. Unfortunately, of in today's society and world, if you will, business world, you know, when we were growing up, I'm sure you guys heard the same thing as I did. You know, you work hard, you keep your nose clean, do everything, you're never going to lose your job, right? Well, so let me think, one, two, three companies of the last four that I've been with, not counting BKT, are no longer companies. And I was downsized with them. And I, and uh, no, one I did leave on my own, but but they did later fold. But I was, and I was crushed. You know, I I was like, what do you mean? I, you know, the first company, I was at Daco for 10 years. Well, they ended up putting the company up for sale and they downsized a ton of us. And I was very fortunate. I got on with GE. Very, I mean, I didn't even lose a paycheck and I got more money. It got a better opportunity. It was, that's the thing that I'm thankful for is every time I had to make a change, I, it got better and I did not go backward. And so I'm, I'm, and I know that that's not something that happens to everybody, but I was very fortunate that way. And, um, me connecting up with Manu, which was very interesting. I met him in Hawaii at uh, Atia hmm. a couple of years back. And I was with another company and our tables happened to be close to each other at the Tia convention. What I did not know, and this is very humbling for me to say because it, I, I do find it humbling. He was observing me and my wife was there. We had all our wives there and stuff. And uh, it was during the cocktail hour deal. And he finally walks up to me and says, you know, I'm a new meta, you know, what's your name, this and that. It was just a real brief discussion. And he gives me his card and he goes, if you ever want to change jobs, give me a call. And I thought, well, I'm not, not a, you know, certainly don't want to move to Akron. <laughs> but, so, um, and it was just really weird because had he not done that, I would have never been connected to him. And when I had the opportunity to give him a call, here I am. And it's, uh, it's been a fantastic situation. So, um, things don't just happen. They, they happen for a reason, I think in life. And, um, you have to seize the opportunities. Not every bad thing that happens to you is going to result in a bad 
solution. It, it's, it will always, and again, I, I quote Pete Rose, you know, do your best, you know, uh, don't stop trying and never, ever, ever stop. No matter what, how many times you lose doesn't matter. You got to get up, do it again, get up, do it again. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's just kind of the way I live my life and drives my wife crazy sometimes because I'm a little intense with it, but, uh, you know, it, it's, that's the way I think. You bring to mind my favorite saying, which is everything works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. That's right. That's absolutely right. There's never the end. I mean, how many times did Abraham Lincoln fail? I mean, Edison. Edison. You know, right. I mean, all these guys, all the great guys. What did Ed, was it Edison who said, you know, I didn't fail uh, whatever 300 times it was. I just found out 300 ways to not do that. Right. And that's a fantastic attitude. And uh, during the rough times, you know, I've had to remind myself, Doug, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And it has. It has absolutely been. So, um, so yeah, no, I'm very thankful in my life. And I, and I do believe that the fortune that has come to me, because people have helped me out, uh, either financially or direction or spiritually, emotionally, all types of different ways, advice, that if I don't give it back to other people, then it's no good. It's just no good at all. It falls away. So I have two young men, uh, boys of mine that, that are married now and they're in their 20s. And thankfully, my relationship with them is very, very much, uh, you know, guys, this is the way, you know, I'm passing it down from my grandfather, my dad to me to now you and then other people that we have on the team. It's not because of me. It's not Doug Kershaw's woo. Doug is great. No, it's nothing. I'm just passing the wisdom through me to them so that they can do something good with their lives and help other people as well. If we don't do that, our society is just going to fall apart. And unfortunately, it looks like it is. But anyway, that's another topic. Well, I think that's a great way to end this program. This has been a great interview. We really appreciate your carving out time. Uh, clearly, uh, Vice President of BKT USA, your day is probably full. Yeah. Uh, normally. So uh, we really, really appreciate you sharing this with our listeners. This is going out internationally. Just so you know, we have listeners okay. all over the country, all over the world. Um, and so uh, we really appreciate you doing that. Uh, Darren. Doug, I just want to thank you. What a, what a great interview, great insights that everyone can learn from. And I just really appreciate you sharing the time with us. Well, I appreciate it guys. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, I, I hope you have a great day and thank you again. All right. Thanks. Thank you. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you fail to disarm them.